the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. This is All About Grants. Welcome to another virtual edition of NIH's All About Grants podcast. I'm your host, David Kossub, with the NIH's Office of Extramural Research. And today, we're going to be talking about a very important policy that we've had in place for uh, a few years now, and that's the Sex as a Biological Variable Policy, or SABV. And I'm glad to say that we have with us Dr. Sharon Hunter. She is the Associate Director for Basic and Translational Research with the NIH's Office of Research on Women's Health, and I welcome you to the show. Well, thank you very much, David. I'm happy to be here today to talk about this very important topic. Great. Well, let's jump right in. I'll give you a softball. What is the SABV policy and, you know, where did it come from? Uh-huh. Glad to answer that question. But, you know, when I, give the, when I talk about the SABV policy, and before we dive in, I usually like to start off the discussion with a few definitions. Um, let's talk about sex. Sex refers to biological factors, including chromosomes, gonadal organs, and hormonal profiles. And NIH research usually categorizes the sex of vertebrate and animal subjects and human participants as male or female, although we do know that variations sometimes occur. So that's sex. Gender refers to socially constructed and enacted roles and behaviors, which occur in a historical or cultural context and it also varies across societies and over time. But what we do know is that both sex and gender affect our health. So what about the SABV policy and where did it come from? Uh, the SABV policy states that unless there's a clear and strong justification for a single sex study, that the NIH, and I'm quoting here, the NIH expects that sex as a biological variable will be factored into research designs, analyses, and reporting and vertebrate animal and human studies. And important to note that the policy pertains both to preclinical as well as clinical research. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate those definitions. That's actually really helpful because it kind of helps me ask the next question of, uh, well, why is this policy important? Right. Um, I could say a little bit more about the policy and, and, and give you a little bit more background, which I, I hope will be helpful. So really, the policy was, st- was established to improve the overall rigor and reproducibility of research. Now, we had seen from data from published studies that some of the studies could not be reproduced, either because there was no information provided on the sex, or if the sex was specified, typically there was an over-reliance on the use of male animals in cells. And this leads to a knowledge gap on sex effects. And so that's a problem. Another thing that we found is that clinical trials were failing, and sometimes this was in part due to the lack of consideration of possible sex and gender-specific effects. So not considering sex has real-world implications for the health of women and men because we don't have a complete knowledge base on which to build treatments and cures. So so thank you for that. Let's kind of get into some of the nuts and bolts. Um, Does... Do all applicants need to address SABV as they're putting together an application? You know, great question. I get that all the time. And the short answer here is yes. And I'll emphasize the policy here that NIH expects that sex as a biological variable will be factored into all types of studies, vertebrate, animal, and human studies. So yes. 
And uh, it's so important that um, we have, we, we'd like to promote our free resource, uh, which is the SAB Reprimer, which is an, it's a four module uh, online e-learning course that tells you about the background for the SABV policy, why it's important, how to, um, how to build your, how to design your study, how to analyze your study and how to report your study. And it's, it's, it's a, a great resource for both the beginning investigator as well as that seasoned investigator who is trying to uh, adhere to the policy. Uh, and it's on the ORWH website and it's part of a larger e-learning section, which I, I hope your audience will uh, avail themselves of. Definitely, I will encourage them to do so. Um, so how should someone be considering or addressing sex in their, in their research? Um, you know, do you have to consider sex differences or the influences of sex, you know, things like that? Okay, great. So let's talk about um, considering SABV generally. In your application, there are three areas where it's important for you to identify uh, the consideration of sex. And I would say upfront, that's in the abstract theory application. Uh, that you could identify, yes, you're looking at uh, considering both males and females in your study. But when we really drill down, uh, you really want to, in the vertebrate animal section, discuss the sex of the animals that you're using, in addition to the, the species, age, and the number of animals. But the key place is in your research strategy uh, and your research plans specifically. That's where you're going to provide a description of how sex factors impact uh, uh, impact your experimental design. So you should be designing your experiments so that you can look at sex-specific factors. And in that same research plan, that's where, how, that's where you also want to describe how you're going to analyze the data. For example, investigators should, be, should discuss how they're going to disaggregate the, uh, the results of this study so that it can look at females and males separately and report out the data by sex. Also, in your preliminary data and any publications of your work, you should report on sex-specific results of your treatment paradigm. So considering SABV is important in those three areas and also the consideration of uh, the design and the analysis and the reporting is important. So, so thank you for all that. I mean, it sounds like you you know, need to be thinking about this in all facets of the research. And if I'm, you know, if I'm a researcher out there and now I got to be thinking about both male and female and sex and gender, you know, all those things in my research, you know, what's the implication for the budget? Um, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And and um, this is really, really so important. And I'll say that, um, you know, when you're designing a study, just to, just to fill this out a little bit, when you're first thinking about a research project, you should also be thinking about at the very beginning, think about any possible consideration of sex. So from the very outset, when you're building the research question, all the way through to reporting out the data, the consideration of sex should be a, a part of your, uh, of your research plan. One thing I'll also say is that, you know, we're not asking all investigators to become sex differences researchers. What we are asking, however, is for you to, if you don't know the role of sex in your study, that you plan and design your study so that you can make some uh, assessment of that consideration. Now, there are sex differences researchers out there, very stellar researchers, and they are going to power their investigations because they're looking specifically at sex differences. Mm -hmm. You, as a researcher, don't have to power for sex, but you need to design 
and report out sex-specific uh, considerations in your research. So um, you asked about the budget, am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's all about the money. <laughs> all about the money, okay. Yeah, so about the budget. Um, one thing that's important to say is that um, any of you out there who have um, been on a, a study section or, or know about study sections, you might know that um, uh, some, some researchers think that often they have the impression that if they have a smaller budget, they have a better chance of funding. First of all, that's not the case. And about the budget, NIH, first of all, wants research that is rigorous and reproducible and contributes to our knowledge base to build treatments. So build the budget that you need to do the research correctly the first time. Now, and reviewers are really expecting that you are savvy enough to build a budget that's appropriate for the study you propose. Now, I will say that correctly accounting for sex may certainly impact your budget. Um, I think it's a misnomer to say that it's gonna double your budget, not true. And you can find that out by really strategizing with a biostatistician who can help you identify the appropriate analytical framework for your study. So not every study that considers SABD really means that you're gonna to have to double your budget or even double the number of animals. So work with a biostatistician. But overall, the goal here really is to, is to uh, have more rigorous and reproducible research. So building off what you were just talking about, you were mentioning study sections and the peer reviewers and, and things like that as it relates to the budget, but um, you know, what else are they looking at um, you know, as, as they're reviewing your application at, you know, in, in, in the context of SABB? Yeah, so certainly. Um, I have uh, read a lot, of, uh, a lot of summary statements <laughs> and um, uh, said in a lot of peer review meetings and uh, recognize that peer reviewers are researchers just like yourselves. And they're taking time out of their busy schedules to review hundreds of applications. And so make it easier on them to find the information that they need. And what they need, uh, what they need is they need to find the information on how you're assessing SABV. Now, what they've seen, and, I've, and what I've seen in some of the summary statements, uh, that, that a reviewer might say, well, this investigator is using males and females in the study, but they pull males and females into, into the controlling treatment groups. Thereby, it's difficult to assess sex-specific effects. Mm -hmm. That's something I, you would see in a summary statement. That's not a good thing because you're not looking at sex-specific effects. A description in the application that might raise a red flag for a, a reviewer is, they might see a statement that mice of both genders will be used. Now we talked a lot earlier about the fact that sex and gender are different. Mice do not have a gender as far as we know. And so conflating sex and gender is a no-no. Uh, and I have seen that in applications and sometimes reviewers do comment on that. Uh, with regard to preliminary data, uh, if the preliminary data does not report on the effect of sex, then the, the reviewer might comment on that as uh, not being appropriate uh, uh, for SABV. So those are some things that reviewers see. And um, the, the comments that I mentioned to you would really reduce your score. 
and lower your chance of funding. So actually building on that, lowering your score and chance of funding, uh, I mean, you mentioned SABD must be considered by, by everyone, basically. Um, what if I don't? Is, is that going to impact my, my chance of being funded? So uh, the consideration of SABV is a scorable criterion. And reviewers are asked to comment on that. And if you don't, it certainly can uh, impact. It is uh, supposed to lower your impact score. And that does, in fact, reduce your chance of funding. Uh, so definitely want to consider it, it sounds like. So, <laughs> um, so, so thank you. This has been a good kind of framework and foundation. So like, you know, we've talked about what SADV is. Uh, what is it not? You know, what are some myths and misperceptions about this policy? Right, right. Very important. Very important. I will say that the SADV primer uh, that we talked about uh, earlier has some really good, has a whole list of misperceptions uh, about SADV. So I'll talk about a couple. Um, one, one really misperception uh, on the mandate, on, on, the, on the SAB policy as a mandate, is that we're asking investigators all to be sex differences researchers. And as we said earlier, not true. We just ask you to consider uh, uh, sexes in your, uh, in your application. Uh, again, uh, a misperception about powering. If you're not a sex differences researcher, you don't really need to power your study to look at sex. One big misperception uh, about the inclusion of females that we really, really must dispel uh, because there's data out there in the uh, uh, much earlier data, published data, that said one reason for excluding females as subjects in research was because they had greater biological complexity than males because of their gonadal hormones. Not true. This is not a valid reason for not adding uh, females in your study. As a matter of fact, there's a recent study that has shown that the gonadal hormone levels in male animals have significant complexity also. And they also vary over the course of the day and based on their housing and a number of different factors. So it is a misperception that females should be excluded as subjects because of hormonal variability. And that is, we really want to make sure that that uh, your audience knows that. Thank you for that. Um, so let's just say I made it through the whole process. I got funded. Um, now I'm like in the reporting part of you know, my annual reporting. You know, is there anything specific that NIH is going to be asking for for someone as it relates to reporting on SAVD, or you know, even even in like when I'm publishing my articles, for instance, my research rather. Mm -hmm. Great question, great question, because we know that it's a, at least a, 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 almost a year sojourn from application to funding, and now you're funded and you just want to do your work, and I get that, <laughs> but remember that part of the work you were funded for was to address the consideration of sex in your study, and so your progress report, which is pretty much done annually or semi-annually, uh, in those progress reports, you should be reporting out your preliminary data and any sex effects in your study. Absolutely uh, important. Uh, your program director is gonna be looking for that to see that you are being a good steward of the funds that you were provided um, by the NIH. Um, so that's important to uh, include that information in your progress reports. And um, uh, in addition to the NIH requirements, you should be aware that outside of the NIH, many journals now have their own SABV policies. 
So in fact, um, a Nature editorial explained that from now on, researchers who submit papers, and this is to a subset of their journal of their journals, um, those investigators will need to state whether and how sex and gender were considered. So considering sex is not only important at the NIH and not important to report, uh, not only important to report at the NIH, but it's important across the entire biomedical research community. And also internationally, um, there's the, uh, many follow the uh, European Association for Science Editors Guidelines uh, for reporting sex and gender. These are called the SAGER guidelines. And there are many other international organizations that are now asking their investigators to consider the role of sex in their studies. So, and media interest is also very high on this topic. Well, thank you for all of that. This was this has been great. Um, I always like to have the opportunity to give our guests uh, one final opportunity to to say uh, anything else that they think is important about this particular topic. So, you know, what would you like to leave with our audience about you know SABV? Okay, thank you, David. This has been a great discussion, and I hope that your uh, those listening to the podcast have uh, learned about SABV. And I, we've been talking about applications and where to put it in. Things are, but the thing to remember is that the study of sex and gender is part of rigorous and reproducible, reproducible research. And when we have a complete knowledge base on, on, on sex and gender, we can use that to build upon and to build better treatments and cures that are going to take us to more personalized medicine and advance the health of all of us. And so we should look at SABV as an opportunity and at the inclusion of SABV as an opportunity, not an obstacle. You have data out there. And if you have data on males and females and you're not looking at sex specific results, that is data hiding in plain sight, data that's important, useful, and will build our knowledge base as I mentioned before. Um, and the policy is having a positive effect. You know, many investigators have now seen the value in the policy and are finding that when they look for sex influences, they often find sex influences. Um, and I talked about NIH not being the only uh, institution that's considering SABV. There's the Canadian Institute of Health Research and um, the UK's Medical Research Council recently announced plans for its policy. So NIH is the largest funded biomedical research in the world, and it is our opportunity and our responsibility to contribute mightily to the, uh, the, the biomedical uh, uh, data and uh, advance the health of all of us. And um, I wish you all good research <laughs> and, re and good results. Here, here to that. Uh, well, Sharon, this has been a, a great opportunity to hear more about NIH's sex as a biological variable policy. You know, mm -hmm. for those interested, um, I echo what she mentioned earlier. There's a variety of training opportunities and other information that uh, we highly encourage you all to look at it's, um, on the Office of Research for Women's Health's uh, website. Um, and uh, this has been David Kossoff with NIH's All About Grants. Thank you very much.